Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 13 of Nebraska Soccer Talk. I'm your host, Joe Cleary. Man, I feel like I got to take a breath. There's so much soccer going on between college and high school this spring. I can tell you I will be looking forward to when those two seasons are back to being separate. We will have reviews and recaps of both on today's episode. As always, remember to rate, review, subscribe, and share. We just started a Patreon account, so you'll be able to contribute through that and get member benefits. And you can also contribute through our anchor link in the episode bio. Honestly, any money will help with Chase's gas money getting to all the games he goes to and my inability to stay away from the concession stands when I go to the games. Regardless, we appreciate the hundreds of listeners we are getting to this podcast and the 1,200 Twitter followers we have now and growing. Keep interacting. Keep working with us. We absolutely love it, and we love our Nebraska Soccer Talk community. All right, this week we don't have any interviews. Um, We will have interviews coming up uh, over the next couple of weeks again. Obviously, you've seen the separate GEA UWS episode, so we'll almost always have an interview in that episode. But I'm also going to keep trying to include interviews in this episode, too, if I can. Um, They might be high school coaches, college coaches, college players, uh, etc. So stay tuned. But today it's just going to be a college and a high school recap. This week's college soccer review is not going to be totally complete because we are recording before the teams play their final Sunday matches. This weekend, Nebraska Wesleyan men's and women's programs traveled to Dubuque, Iowa to open up their eight-game spring seasons against the Loris College Dewhawks. It was a tough weekend for the P-Wolves. The women's squad fell 2-0, conceding two goals in the first half and then holding Loris scoreless in the second. The men's squad fell 4-1 after a scoreless first half the Duhawks scored four before Thomas DeStefano from Nebraska Wesleyan scored their lone goal. Loris was picked near the top of both men's and women's polls of the American Rivers Conference, so this was a tough opening game for both programs. I'm not going to go too much into the statistics of each of each game because a lot of times I have found as a college coach, uh, statistics can often be misleading and home-cooked by the sports information departments. Um, so I'm not going to read too much into the shots or shots on goal, Um, because there were some discrepancies in there when I looked at them anyways. So next week, the P-Wolves have two home games. They return to Lincoln. They take on Coe College midweek before welcoming University of Dubuque on Saturday. Before moving on to the rest of the results and divisions, I do want to note that the junior college programs have been playing exhibitions and scrimmages, but they're going to open up their seasons this coming week. So going forward, you'll also be getting updates from Northeast, Southeast, Western Nebraska, and Central Community Colleges. And we may even pop over just across the river into Council Bluffs to see what Iowa Western's doing because they have some Nebraska ties in their program. All those schools have men's and women's programs, and so you'll be getting updates from all of those. Out to the NAIA programs. First, an update from the men's side. We're going to kick it off with the highest-ranked Nebraska program, Bellevue University. Bellevue hosted Midland at Papillion, and they ran out 5-0 winners. The big news from the other night, though, was that Inaki Aldeo continued his record-setting goal-scoring form. Aldeo scored two goals, taking his single-season record total to 20 and equaling the Bellevue career record of his head coach, Mark Heath Preston. Bellevue heads to the AII tournament on April 9th and 10th before more than likely heading to the NAIA national tournament. 
We will see if the Bruins and Anaki can continue their solid run of form, and we wish them the best of luck. Over in the G-Pack, the men's teams finished their non-conference matchups. Notably, Concordia played number five in the country Missouri Valley College close, eventually falling 2-1. Next week, Midland squares off against Concordia and Hastings hosts Sterling College, who is receiving votes in the NAIA Top 25. The GPAC men's opening round is scheduled for April 10th, and we will have coverage of all those games. Flipping over to the women's side, in a top-level matchup, Hastings College traveled to Papillion and defeated Bellevue University 2-1, snapping the Bruins' eight-game win streak that went back to the first half of the season that occurred in the fall. Hastings is moved, moves to 12-5, Bellevue to 12-3. Both teams are quality, and I expect both will have an opportunity to compete in the NAIA tournament if they do well in their conference tournaments. Bellevue women's will travel to the AII tournament that is happening at the same time as the men's AII tournament, April 9th and 10th. And the GPAC Women's Tournament opens up actually this coming weekend on April 3rd. So we'll have coverage of all of those games as well. On the Division II side of the game, Wayne State College continued their solid run of form with a 1-0 away victory over Augustana University. Having defeated the Vikings two weeks ago in Mankato, the Wildcats welcome Augustana to Wayne America and will be looking for the three-game spring sweep next week over the Vikings. This is a solid start for new coach Emily Hester, and the momentum from this spring could prove key as the Wildcats will return in the fall with a lot of key players from this year, as well as a strong 2021 recruiting class. UNK has not played since falling to Fort Hayes State on March 20th. They return to action this week on Thursday and Saturday, first traveling to Wichita to take on Newman University before hosting Fort Hayes State in Kearney. It is worth noting that the Northern Sun, the conference Wayne State plays in, made the decision to not support or sponsor a true spring season for their fall sports. So while these games are super important for these teams and players, there will be no records kept and no NSIC tournament or championship awarded. Carney's conference, the MIAA, is planning on playing a postseason tournament, but I'm unsure if records count because the NCAA is not sponsoring a Division II spring soccer tournament at the national level. Finally, to the Division I level, we will start with the men's and women's programs at the University of Nebraska-Omaha. The Maverick women's program achieved their first regional ranking of the Division I era, while the men's program moved up to fifth in their regional rankings. The women's soccer program suffered their first loss in the month of March with a 2-1 loss at Denver University. On 24 points in the Summit League standings, the Mavs women's program currently sits in third. They do have three games remaining plus a one-week bye. They have one more game against Denver on the road today, and then a home series versus second from bottom Western Illinois next week. If my math is correct, depending on today's results, UNO requires one more point from their final three games to seal a spot in this year's Summit League Conference Tournament, which would be a big achievement for Tim Walter's squad, but also an achievement that they were aiming for. The Summit League Tournament takes place in Omaha on April 15th and 17th. The men's soccer program also suffered their first loss in the month of March with a 2-1 defeat at UMKC. This is the second time they have lost to the Ruse this year. It seems like UMKC just has their number. Two important things of note, this game was the UMKC's game rescheduled from February 18th, and despite the loss, UNO has not been shut out yet this spring season. Hugo Kamatani and Nil Ayats have been the main goal providers, but in recent weeks, it's been Kenji Obama-Dem who has found his goal-scoring form. It's going to be a wild finish to the Summit League. UNO does control their own destiny for the Summit League title, but that destiny involves three road games against Oral Roberts and Denver. 
It will be tough, but I have no doubt that the UNO Mavs will keep it interesting with their solid defense and their multiple attacking options. Keep watching all the way to the very end because it's going to be crazy. Over with the blue side of Omaha, the Creighton women's soccer program has now won two games on the bounce with a home win over Marquette and a road victory this week over Xavier. The Blue Jays had a tough start to the season, but with three Big East games remaining, the Jays can still sneak into the Big East tournament. They will have to get wins against Marquette and DePaul, which sets up a very difficult final regular season game versus Butler. A result, win or tie, could possibly get them in as the second seed in the Midwest division. The men's program bounced back from a tough home loss to Marquette with a convincing 3-0 win over Xavier. The highlight of the game came from the second goal. In the 65th minute, Musa Congo served up a dangerous cross, and Charles August put in the back of the net with a first-time volley. The Jays are back in action this week. First, they welcome UMKC in a non-conference home game before returning to Big East play on Friday when they host DePaul. Their game against DePaul is a must-win game, in my opinion. Last but not least, we take the quick trip over to Lincoln. Nebraska had a tough, tough trip to Illinois last weekend, falling to Illinois and Northwestern. They did have a little bit of a bounce back this week already with a solid 0-0 draw versus number 19 in the country, Rutgers. Mackenzie Short, sophomore goalkeeper from Colorado, was big in goal for the Huskers that day, racking up 10 saves. When I interviewed Kenzie Coons last week, before we got on the air, she said that the team was going to bounce back, and they certainly did. Coons played a big part in the result against Rutgers, playing in 105 of possible 110 minutes. The Huskers play Penn State today, a top 10 team and a top team in the Big Ten, before welcoming Iowa to Hibner next weekend. I'm hoping to be out in Lincoln for that game. That's the college roundup. Good luck to all teams with this next weekend of competition. Welcome to the segment, High School Highlights. We had some big-time matchups this week, both in regular season play and in tournament and in invitational play. This week's high school highlight segment is going to be broken up by class and also by boys and girls teams. And I'll also give you some of my general thoughts on high school soccer in Nebraska at the end of this. We won't be able to give an update on every program, but we will be providing highlights of several programs throughout the state. We will start off with Class B girls action. The big news in Class B soccer this week continues to be Scut girls soccer dominance. Scutt's coach, John Carlson, recorded his 300th career win this week, and Scutt remained unbeaten at 4-0. They had convincing wins over both Mercy and Duchenne, who are sitting at number two and number three, respectively, in our Nest rankings. CeCe Barons is averaging a hat-trick per game right now, which is incredible considering she, she will probably enter the college game in a more of a midfield or defensive role. Scutt has a matchup coming up this week with our number four team in the Nest rankings, Roncalli Catholic. I have a feeling we are going to be talking a lot about Scut. Coach Carlson thinks he has a special team, and I tend to agree with him. So I want to shift focus to some of the other teams who have had a good early run this season. Despite their heavy loss to Scut, Mercy rebounded well with wins over Gross and Roncalli. Duchenne played Scut the closest out of any team this early season. I expect both Mercy and Duchenne to be around at the end of the season, possibly at Morrison. Both Mercy and Duchenne have a few games to go before the April 9th matchup, but I am already looking forward to that game. Lincoln Lutheran and Raymond Central have started off the season 4-0 with some very convincing wins. They have a game against Seward coming up this week, but I think we will have a real idea of how good this Lincoln Lutheran team is when they, both, when they face both Columbus Scotus and Mercy in two weeks. Norris and Elkhorn are also unbeaten. Norris isn't a team we have talked about that much, either in our preseason rankings or currently, but we're going to talk about them now. 
They have the ability to score and have some young talent in their squad. Elkhorn has also been filling up the stat sheet, but they have a little bit more of a challenge coming up this week. First, the Antlers take on Bennington, who have had an up-and-down start to their season, and they potentially have a matchup of unbeatens with Norris after that. Finally, Scott's Bluff, way out on the west side of the state, is also unbeaten. We just don't know where they are at. The schedule contains teams from Wyoming and other western Nebraska teams, so it is hard to know where they exactly stand in the landscape of Class B and in the state of Nebraska. In a couple weeks, they are scheduled to play Elkhorn North and Norris, which will probably give us a better measure of where they stand in relation to the rest of the teams. Switching over to the boys' side of Class B, we will also start with Scott Catholic. Scott's boys won the St. Ignatius Cup after defeating Creighton Prep in the final 2-0. Caleb Vos scored an absolute stunner in the game. The highlight is on our Nebraska Soccer Talk Twitter. Check it out. It is a beauty of a goal. Top ranked in Class B, Scott has played a tough schedule already and is heading for an exciting matchup against top-ranked Class A Lincoln Southwest. The Elkhorn North boys soccer team is also unbeaten, but their next two weeks are going to be much more challenging than their last two weeks. Scott's Bluff boys are in the same position as the girls. It's hard to properly know where they're sitting at because we just don't know enough about them yet. One team that has been playing a tough schedule but is still winless is South Sioux City. They sit at 0-3 with losses to Scott, Omaha South, and Lexington. For my money, South Sioux has played the top two Class B boys programs as well as possibly the top Class A program. So I do expect South Sioux to bounce back and be in the mix at the end. Lexington's only loss has been to Scut, and they have won comfortably in their other matches, so I'm expecting them to maintain pace of being one of the stronger teams in Class B. Over to Class A girls soccer, and I am honestly really excited to see where this season is going to take us. We have some very solid teams out of Lincoln right now. Lincoln East, Lincoln Southeast, and Lincoln Southwest are all unbeaten and playing good soccer. This last week, Southwest had a big win over Marion High School. Lincoln East has been pretty convincing in their win so far, as has Lincoln Southeast. One of those two teams, though, is going to have a one in the loss column after this week as Southeast and East square off on Tuesday. Southwest will have to refocus after Marion as they take on Pius and Columbus this week. Over in the Omaha area, your usual suspects have been cruising right along. Elkhorn South is unbeaten and head to Millard West this week for a big-time matchup between two highly ranked teams. Gretna is also unbeaten. Their schedule does get remarkably tougher over the next two weeks with matchups coming up against Papio, Papio South, Bellevue East, and Millard North. All four of those teams are very capable and have the firepower and the confidence to knock off the Dragons. We can't write off a talented Marion squad after one loss, though, and they have an interesting 48 hours coming up. Their opponents are going to be Millard North and Papio South. That is a tough, tough back-to-back game set. I think the exciting thing for me is that Class A is relatively wide open. Right now, there are at least 10 teams that if you told me six weeks from now that they ended up being state champions, I wouldn't be shocked. As we get closer to districts in the wild card, I'm sure things will start to separate a little bit more and there will be some more fit, clear favorites, but there's certainly going to be some heartbreak there at the end. I also want to give a quick shout out to Millard South and Gretna for what they did in support of uh, child cancer, the fight against child cancer. I think it's really cool when teams do stuff that's outside of soccer, especially when they come together to do stuff for someone in the community or for a cause that's important. Um, I plan on doing a little bit more on this on our Nebraska Soccer Talk blog. I want to reach out to both coaches and some members of the team and get the full story on on what's going on. But I just want to give a shout out on the podcast too because it's really cool 
as a coach, I liked doing stuff like that. And so, again, I really appreciate when teams do stuff like that that's outside of soccer in their community and for a cause that is important. Over to the boys' side. Lincoln Southwest, Gretna, and Omaha South are all still unbeaten. Creighton Prep is still a quality team, and they will get a chance to prove that as they take on Omaha South tomorrow. That matchup is always an anticipated matchup, whether it happens during the regular season or in the postseason. Gretna have rolled through their competition, and they will be tested this week with both Papio and Papio South on the schedule, with Omaha Central sandwiched in between. I also think Class A boys are relatively open, too. Omaha South is good, but their game against Grand Island showed that they aren't without their faults. Speaking of Grand Island, they might be the best winless team in the state. They have played Lincoln Southwest and Omaha South, two of the top, top teams in the state, to 3-2 losses. They have an unbeaten Norfolk coming up, so it will be interesting to see how each of those two teams measure up to each other. Norfolk wants to prove that their 3-0 is a legit 3-0, and Grand Island's going to be looking to prove that their 0-3 is not really a legit 0-3. Going back to Class A, though, I do think it's open. I think these next six weeks are going to be real fun. Before I let everyone go and we wrap this episode up, I want to thank you for listening. Um, And I just want to offer my opinion on two different things that I've seen happen in the early days of Nebraska high school soccer this year, but also in past years. First, um, it's 2021. So I really don't think that losing games to rain um, should be a thing anymore. And it's not the soccer team's fault. Honestly, we have to figure out a way as athletic departments and as school districts that if a team doesn't have turf available, that we have an option for them to play on turf somewhere in the school district or somewhere in their community or somewhere in a a community nearby. Um, Because losing games to late spring snowstorms is one thing. Losing games to rain, which happens consistently in the spring, is quite another. Um, We just need better options and better fields for our players. And, And that's something that I think can be a push uh, by by parents and by players and alumni and and by schools to be better at. Um, and I really think I know it's an, it's it's easy for me to sit here and say that when turf can cost thousands upon thousands of dollars, um, but it, it is the way forward to make sure that we have consistent playing surfaces, which will lead to better games and more consistent results in those games. The second thing, I do think that we play too many games in a short time in high school soccer. Uh, as, as much as, as fun as games are to cover, as fun as games are to watch, as fun as games are to play in, um, there, there's just too many and it's not good for player development or player health. Um, and I also think because we have so many games and teams are looking to play so many games, um, we, we get these lopsided results where teams are playing other teams that they shouldn't be playing either. Uh, uh, the best team is playing a team that's struggling um, and, and it's not good for either team. 12-0 scorelines are not good for either team. So if we lessen the number of games, there's a better chance that we would find better matchups and less lopsided scorelines. And I think those two are really actionable steps that we could take to make uh, the overall game and the overall season better for our high school athletes. Um, I know that a lot of people want to debate on what schools belong in what class, how we can fix that so that the competitive 
uh, landscape has changed or made different, but I just don't think that there's a quick fix to that. And I don't think these are quick fixes either, but I think they are fixes that help everyone without being super controversial. I think everyone agrees that too many games in a short time is not healthy and that we could all use better soccer fields to play on. So those are my two thoughts. Um, it's been really fun covering high school soccer. Uh, I look forward to the next six weeks, which is crazy. It's going to feel like a sprint. It's also going to feel like a marathon. Um, and I just wish all the teams and coaches and fans the best of luck. Enjoy it. Enjoy the soccer that's going on because uh, it's, it's, it's great to have soccer back and it's great to have our, our kids playing high school soccer again. So uh, if you see me at a game, make sure to say hello and uh, keep tuning in. Rate, review, subscribe, and share and uh and and support if you can uh again we uh chase and i do this mostly uh for free actually all for free um and we're volunteering our time so anything that you feel like you can give back that'd be much appreciated um even if it helps pay our entrances into games and our gas money to get to these games and uh my concession bill probably runs a little bit too high so uh, i hope everyone has a good week and again good luck to all the teams